So if we go to John 19, starting at verse 38. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices in strips of linen. This was in accordance with the Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. Because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they lay Jesus there. Early on the first day of the week... While it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. They were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen, lying on the bed, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from the scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over and looked into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. And he asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary... She turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said all these things to her. Well, hello, everybody. My name's Jeff. I'm one of the pastors here. Happy Easter, everyone. It's great to see you, especially if you're visiting. A very warm welcome. And if you're here as friends and family of those getting baptised, of Sam, Talia, 
Tim, Xinxia, Will and Karis, a special welcome as well. I remember on Easter Sunday mornings when I was a child, uh, it would be a great time. I'd get up very early in the morning. Uh, I was on a mission to find Easter eggs and eat them. It was a good mission. And uh, mum would do her very best at hiding them really well. So it was like Mission Impossible nearly. So when I found the Easter eggs, it was a great surprise to me. Well, today, in this story, there's a woman called Mary Magdalene. She wakes up very early in the morning when it was still dark, and she was on a mission, but her mission was Mission Impossible. She was going to find the dead body of Jesus uh, to give it spices, as was her custom. But she was going to have a great surprise as well. In fact, the disciple John here that records these first Easter events, uh, he's the one that Jesus loves. He refers to himself like that. He records three surprises. The first surprise we're going to look at is in regards to Joseph and Nicodemus. The second surprise we're going to look at is regarding Peter and John. And the third surprise is regarding Mary. Now, some of these events are so surprising for people today that they want to discount them, uh, saying that Jesus really didn't rise uh, you know, from the dead. He was just unconscious on the cross. He sort of resuscitated himself in the tomb, became conscious. And after all the beating and all the crucifixion that he went through, he was able in his weak body to roll the stone away. Sometimes it actually takes more faith to believe these theories than the actual Bible account. Because have a look at verse 38 with me, which was just read. Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Then, with Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. Now, Pilate would have never, ever given permission to let Jesus be taken down off the cross if he definitely wasn't dead. The Roman soldiers, they were masters at execution. They had these skills. So Jesus would have definitely been dead. In fact, Joseph and Nicodemus went on to give Jesus a burial fit for a king. 75 pounds of spices, it says, was wrapped around Jesus. This is very expensive. Something reserved for a royal funeral. They were honoring Jesus as a king. And as this comes... To the, us, to the first big surprise. The Jewish leaders here wanted Jesus dead and buried, literally. Yet those two Jewish leaders, Joseph and Nicodemus, came to a very different conclusion. They changed their mind after listening to Jesus. This would have been not an easy decision to come to because they feared all the Jewish leaders. So in the past, they kept this secret. They kept it in the dark but now they were showing the world that they were aligning themselves with Jesus. Later today in the baptism, Sam, Talia, Tim, Shinshay, uh, Will and Karis will be showing the world that they're aligning themselves with Jesus, that they want to just trust Jesus as their king. In their testament, as you just heard here, the change of mind that happened as they got to know Jesus more and more. And all of these guys that are getting baptized and girls have been through the life course. 
that Tim mentioned earlier, where they looked at Jesus, where they see what he's done, and they were able to ask questions. It's actually the modern-day version of Nicodemus when he was asking questions of Jesus. This is just version 2021. When I was overseas in ministry, and I used to hand out lollies to the university students in Malta uh, to get them thinking in a similar way here. When the lollies I handed out, it had a note with it. And on the note, it had this message that said, chew on this. Because I wanted them to chew on the lollies, but also chew on the, the message of the note. And the message said, 95% of people have a firm opinion of who Jesus is, yet less than 5% have read the Bible, the primary source about Jesus. And see, and if people say they're open-minded, I say, well, open the Bible and investigate it. Be surprised and start discovering who Jesus is. So that's just a bit of a plug for the life course that's happening in May. There you'll be able to ask questions like maybe you'll say, well, maybe Mary just went to the wrong tomb. And you'll hear answers like, well, Joseph of Arimathea, that was his tomb that they buried Jesus in. He was wealthy. He was well known. Everybody what he would have known where the tomb was. Even Mary that rocked up at the tomb there, she in the account of Luke's gospel was there at the burial. So she would have went to the right tomb as well. This then comes to our second surprise in the story. Most modern people will think Christianity is just about blind faith. It's a belief in spite of the evidence. They have no evidence. It's wishful thinking. It's like a psychological crutch. But when Mary runs back and tells Peter and John someone has taken the body of Jesus... They both run for the tomb to investigate. Both of them finally went to observe, went inside the tomb to see what had happened. Jesus' body was not there. Verses 7 and 8, Peter saw only the strips of linen there, as well as the cloth that was wrapped around Jesus' head. It was lying there where Jesus was. When John saw this, he believed that Jesus had risen from the dead. In verse 9, he didn't get this from Scripture, it says, but it was by pure observation that he came to this. It was not wishful thinking. It was not pie in the sky. It was what he'd seen with his own eyes. It wasn't a leap in the dark. It was a leap into the tomb that convinced him. Some people today try and say, well, Jesus' body was not there because of tomb robbers, because that was quite a a common occurrence back then. However, the linen left in the tomb speaks against that. Let me explain. Can you imagine robbers first taking the linen carefully off the body of Jesus, folding it up nicely in a pile? Imagine if it was a guy folding up linen. No. Okay. (laughs) Okay. And then rush it off with the body. It doesn't make sense, isn't it? That would be very surprising if that happened. Other modern scholars would say that these stories have become like a legend. Yeah, sure, Jesus was a man, but the disciples start describing him more and more like a legend. It's like every time you tell a fishing story. You know how you say that the, you tell the story and the fish gets bigger and bigger? You say, well, you should have seen the fish I caught. You know how big it was? 
And that's like with Jesus, people think uh, he becomes more and more impressive as the story goes around and gets exaggerated to legendary status. However, the biography of Jesus here in front of us does not read like a legend, like a perfect idealistic story. Because a legend, you don't see people doubting, you know, disciples doubting if Mary's seen it right or not. You certainly don't see someone uncontrollably sobbing like Mary in a legend story. You don't see things like this. You don't see her frantically looking for the body, her questioning everybody. This is not stories what legends are made out of. This seems more like what truly happened, a true historical account of events that John, who is writing them, saw as an eyewitness. Things they recorded, warts and all. John doesn't airbrush any of the characters. What you see is what you get. Well, actually, what John sees is what you get. That turns us to the third surprise regarding Mary now. A lot of people these days think the church is patriarchal, suppresses women, looks down on them and dominates them. And I would say if there's any church or any church leader that does that, they need to say sorry, they need to repent, they need to change. Some need to be held accountable for this because this is far, far different than the the picture we see of Jesus here, how he treats women, how he treats Mary. Let's have a look how he relates to her. Verse 11, Mary's outside the tomb and and she's crying. Jesus comes alongside her, deeply caring for her and asks her, Why are you crying? He's going to comfort her soon and show her that there's definitely no reason to cry. She's looking for the living amongst the dead. It doesn't make sense. He's going to give her a reason not to cry. Then he gives her another question. He says, who are you looking for? It's like he's saying, are you looking for the right Jesus? Or is your Jesus too small? Have you put him in a little box? A box the shape of a coffin. No, no, he's much bigger than that. He's not confined to that. You can't fit him in a box like Mary tried to do or like we tried to do sometimes. Mary doesn't see first how Jesus is the risen, victorious Lord of all. So Mary thinks at first Jesus is a gardener. So she replies to his questions in verse 15 and says, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I'll get him. Mary was right about one thing here. This man in front of her was directly responsible for moving the body. Jesus once said, I'm going to lay my life down only to take it up again. Then Jesus calls her by her name, Mary. One word that remade her broken world, that transformed her life forever after. And the word was her own name. Very personal, very intimate, very life-changing. Our biggest longing in this world is to be known and to be loved. This is the good shepherd calling his sheep by name. And they respond to his voice. That's what Mary does. She recognizes Jesus 
and she's overwhelmed with joy, cries out, my dear teacher, in Aramaic. She does not want to let him go. She doesn't want to lose him again. But Jesus says, do not hold on to me. I'm ascending to the Father. And in verse 17, Jesus says to Mary, go instead to my brothers and tell them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. See, Jesus' death and resurrection means Jesus is now their brother and your brother. He's their God and your God. So Mary went on to tell the disciples, I've seen the Lord. What's happening here? Well, this is amazing because women back then had a very low ranking in society and would not have even been able to be a witness in a court case. Yet Jesus honours her as she is first to see him. If John wanted to have a credible story here, he shot himself in the foot by recording that Mary was a witness to seeing Jesus alive. But because it's true and it was historical, John records it exactly as it happened. Mary was the first to see the empty tomb. Mary was the first to see the risen Lord Jesus. Mary was the first to be commissioned. Wow. Commissioned by Jesus to tell others. Wow, what a privilege she got. Mary indeed was then the first one to witness to the, to the disciples about Jesus. That is how high Jesus places women. In, in, in today's society, we are challenged to listen to women now, to not silence their voices, to not doubt their testimony or disregard their experience. So today I'm saying, let us listen to this woman, to Mary, and what she says about her experience with Jesus. Well, I said there was going to be three surprises regarding three groups of people in this passage. Surprise! There's a fourth group. There's a fourth group of people. That's you. God's story is inclusive. It's not exclusive. It's including all of us. Jesus died and rose for you and me too. He's your servant king. He is clearly singing as king as he's risen from the dead. Even death couldn't hold him down. No other world leader has ever done that, whether political leader, religious leader, or royal leader. Yet this king also serves. This is his glory. Not how many people serve him, but how many people he serves. He came to serve you and me by dying instead of you and me and offering a pardon to us. Now, this really should surprise you because these sort of things just don't happen in the world today. You've got powerful men, the President of the United States or of China. They won't take a bullet for you if you're in trouble. Their bodyguards have to take a bullet for them. Yet Jesus, King of Kings, basically takes a bullet for us. Jesus went into the tomb, into lockdown for three days for you to deal with your deadly virus called sin. 
So don't social distance from Jesus. Do not run from Jesus, but run to him like the disciples did in this story, as fast as you can. Then you'll be surprised at what you discover. You will discover that Jesus went through hell for you on the cross. He died the death that we deserve. Then rose again to show that death's penalty was fully paid for. That we have a king's pardon now if we choose to take it. It reminds me of a true story, another true story, about a man on death row. He was on death row because he'd committed a serious crime. However, his friend was a top-class lawyer, and he went to the law courts to make an appeal. The judge listened, and he gave him a pardon. The man didn't have to, be di- didn't have to die in seven days' time. He just got a longer lo- a sentence. So the lawyer friend rushed to the jail with the pardon in his hand, the paperwork. His friend in jail took the pardon, looked at it, and ripped it up. Now his lawyer friend just didn't know what to do with this. He was totally in shock. So he had to go back to court and see what the judge would say. This is what the judge said. I gave him a pardon... He didn't accept, he rejected the pardon, so he is still to be executed. And he got executed at the end of that week. Wow, what a surprise at the end of that story. Why did he not accept the pardon? What a tragedy. But you know what? You know what would be an even bigger tragedy than that? An even bigger surprise than that? Is if you didn't accept the pardon that Jesus offers you. What a surprise that would be. He died for you so that you could walk free and live a new life through him. Please don't rip up that pardon. Please accept it today. However, some of you might be out there thinking, well, do, I, do I really need the pardon, Jeff? Am I really that bad? Well, imagine if we went on trial and we were on, in the court and witness after witness started giving evidence about our life and what we'd done wrong to other people. Maybe some friends are there giving some witness testimony, some ex-friends maybe, some family, some estranged family of yours as well and mine. People at work that you like. Some people that you sort of, yeah, uh, not so on great terms with. Maybe some pre- people at school or university that you get frustrated with from time to time in the community. They're there. They're mentioning things that you've said to them or said behind their back or done to them. They've done this. They've done that to me. I'm there as well. Uh, how would you go? Then it's time for your defence or my defence. Our time to justify our position. Now, sometimes we've got legitimate excuses, isn't it? But a lot of times we're just trying to sweep things under the carpet about what we've done. And this is all before God, the opposition's star witness, comes on the stand to testify against us how we've ignored him, how we've rejected him. And he sees all and he knows all. 
Now I'm saying, do not try and cover up our sins. The guys here, given their testimonies, they knew that Jesus can forgive them. They ran to Jesus to cover up their sins. When we ignore God, when we do our own thing, when we're looking after ourselves, we hurt others, we ignore God. Let's not justify that. Here's some of the ways I justify it, and, and maybe it might sound true to you. I might say, oh, well, that, that was a long time ago. That's in the past. Or, look, everybody else is doing it. Or, we're only human, aren't we, after all? Or we might say, well, they actually got what they deserved. It, it was coming to them. You can see that. Or, I've got my rights. Or, I've got to learn to love myself more. But all these things are excuses actually to be selfish, to look after ourselves most of the time. Do not run for all these excuses. Let us run to Jesus and be surprised by his gracious pardon. Let him go through lockdown for us so we don't have to go through lockdown for all eternity. Jesus wants no social distancing. He wants to be with you now and for the rest of eternity. When we get surprised by Jesus like this, we become like Mary, holding on to him tightly, never wanting to let him go. And then we want to tell the world about Jesus, just like these guys did up on stage, just like they're going to do at that baptism. Let me pray to that end. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for what you've done for us. When we deserved hell, you gave us heaven. You went through hell on the cross instead of us. Thank you for this, Lord. Help us to accept this pardon if we haven't done that. If we've accepted the pardon, help us to share this pardon with other people so they come to know you, live for you, walk free in your ways. In Jesus' name, amen.